we are continuing in our series entitled Finding the One and True God. Um, we have been looking at this aspect of uh, what it means to find a relationship with God and uh, how God reveals himself to his people. And we've been looking in the book of Acts chapter number 17 as the Apostle Paul uh, was on a missionary journey. And as he was going through his missionary journey, he arrived in Athens. And while he was there, he saw that people were worshiping idols and that even those who were in the synagogues did not know the one and true God. And so he gave the speech to the unknown God. And we see that there at the end of Acts chapter number 17 and starting at verse number 22. I'll read from starting at verse number 22 until our focus verses this morning, verses 26 through 28 um, as we read this morning. Let's read uh, this in Acts chapter number 17. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Last week, we shared about the fact that we are imported from the kingdom of God and recognizing that it is God who gives us the life and health and breath and everything else. And so recognizing that we did not create ourselves, um, um, but we were created by God. And so we see here in verse number 26, it says, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his off spring. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together here today, Lord, to look upon your word. We ask that even as we pause even now, Lord, to uh, expound upon your word, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you desire to say to us this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that even as your word, Lord, leads and guides and directs us in all of the affairs of life, Lord, that you would even lead and guide us and direct us, Lord, that we would know that you are the master craftsman. Lord, you are the one who has created us with purpose and assignment. And Lord, that you have paid attention to every single detail, Lord, every single part that is required. Lord, we give you thanks and glory and honor. We pray that even as, Lord, I speak and share upon this word, Lord, you would allow me to decrease and you to increase. Lord, use uh, the words that I say, oh God, Lord. Lord, fill me with your presence, even as I speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
When we look at Acts chapter number 17 and this time during the existence of the first church, we recognize that the spiritual climate that existed uh, during the first century church of Acts was a very dark spirituality. Uh, The average individual in the first century saw himself as caught under the crushing weight of chance. Helpless. Just living life in the course of wind. They relied on magic or superstition to try and supersede the ways of evil and things that were going on. Paul was coming to a place where people only knew spirituality as some God afar off doesn't care about the things that are going on in my life. But maybe if I do some patterns the right way. Maybe if I say the right things or maybe if I do the right things, maybe somebody will have pity on me and will help me to live this life. Though we are now over 2000 years later, we can find ourselves under some of the same spiritual darkness that clouded the first century church. We can feel like life is more about chance and self-effort rather than a reality that God is in control of everything that is going on. You know, it's amazing that as we look to all of the events that happen, when we look at the economic crisis that has happened, when we look at tsunamis and natural disasters that take place, when we look at accidents and freak things that happen in nature, it is very easy for us to feel that we are only under the subject of chance. And maybe you sit here today and you know the feeling of sometimes wondering, God, are you really there and are you awake while everything else is going on? And what Paul was saying to a people who thought that there was a God who was afar off that did not care about what was going on in their lives. He proclaimed to them that God was very involved in all of the details of the lives of his creation. You see, though we talk about a life filled with grace, many of us are still locked into a life filled with works. What do I mean by that? Many of us, we keep a running scorecard of where we are with God. So when we've read our Bible this week and when we prayed and we got to church on time, we feel that God owes us something for this week. Lord, don't you know I've done all these things? Bless me. I I remember back, you know, when I was uh, uh, in school or when I was working, when I had an important project to do, I made sure that I kept my scorecard quite high. I made sure that I was uh, on the good list of what God had called me to do as if my good works had earned a right for God to give me something. You see, the reality is that we are blessed not of our own strength. We are blessed because we have been called by God, adopted into his presence, and he knows us by name. And whether or not we have done all of the list of good things or whether we've fallen short, we still are his children. And we recognize that God cares about what is going on in our lives. You see, the challenge is, is that for many of us, when we neglect to realize that God isn't involved in our lives, we live what I call practical atheism. Other theologians have coined this phrase, and it really means that we believe that God exists, but we live as if he didn't. 
We believe and say, I I believe God is real. I believe God is alive. But when we live out our daily lives, there is nothing different in the way that we live that would indicate to anyone and even to ourselves that God makes a difference. I wonder if they were to put a microscope on your life, if they were to do a real life drama of your life, would God be included or would God just be a 30 second flip in the middle of your life story. You came to church, you said a prayer, and then the rest of life went on. God is involved in the very details of our lives and becoming a practical atheist confuses us because we acknowledge the fact that God exists, but we do nothing in response to it. See, if we are God's offspring and we truly believe that God exists, it requires something of us. It requires change. It requires a response from us. And what we have to realize is that if the gospel has been proclaimed and we still stay the same, then chances are we have not truly believed what we said we believed. But we found something that has pacified our taste for the moment. Now. What does that mean in our very lives? It means that in order to escape out of practical atheism, in order to escape out of a spiritual darkness, in order to escape out of a world that we just look at and just say, all right, we're just going laissez-faire. We have to realize that God has a plan for our lives and his plan for our life is bigger than you and me. God has a very plan, a definite plan for our lives. And one of the questions that most people ask themselves is, what is my purpose while I'm here on earth? We hear countless sermons on finding your purpose. We hear time in classrooms talking about find out what purpose means. And ultimately, purpose does not lie in creation, but it lies in the reason given to us by the creator. And what we must recognize is that many people who have struggled to find their purpose really have never had a fulfilling relationship with the creator, so they will never understand why they're here in the first place. And without a relationship with their creator, they'll always be trying to make a reason for their existence rather than understanding why God placed you here in the first place. Others have wrestled with the fact that they look at the fact of God, okay, you created me for this purpose, but they kind of say, well, can I trade? Can I do what someone else is doing? Can I be like Michael Phelps or someone else who's a big star? Can I have, you know, these types of lives? I mean, it's amazing. Uh, As our son has been going to preschool, I've been wondering, I'm like, how do they start off? Because it seems already in preschool that he's probably trading his lunch. Because, I mean, he comes home every day and you ask him, you look in the bag and his whole lunch is still there. And you say, Nehemiah, did you eat? Yeah, I ate. And I was like, well, whose lunch did you eat? (laughs) He's like, well, I had this. I was like, well, I didn't pack that in your lunch. And then he says, oh, my teacher gave it to me. And we asked the teacher, he's like, no, we didn't give that to him. So we're like, okay, so he's found somebody's lunch that he found and, and is obviously enjoying because he's eating something. He's not hungry when he comes home. But uh, in his mindset, he's looking at it where he say, you know what? Someone else has something else I like. Now, I'm saying as his daddy, I packed your lunch specifically and purposely. I've had to learn the Pastor Ophelia method of packing Nehemiah's lunch. 
there is a fruit and a sandwich and a juice, a particular type of juice. Then you got the water in the bottom and then you have to have the snack crackers. And there's a whole method to it. If you want to come to training, come. you can come to the house and learn how to do that. But what I've realized is that there is a way. And Pastor Ophelia has a specific method because she wants to make sure that Nehemiah has all of his nutrients. Make sure that he has a healthy meal. He even gets fruit snacks, so he gets the dessert, too. I mean, so he gets a, ba- a well-balanced meal. But in Nehemiah's mind, it's, oh, so-and-so has this. So-and-so has this. And so what he begins to look at and say, well, I understand that maybe mommy and daddy pack these things, but I want something else. And many of us can say that to God. I understand that you created me with a purpose. I understand that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But you know what? I want something else. And if we're honest, there are times where all of us have said to God, I want something else. Maybe it was too difficult. Maybe it seemed like it required too much of us. But we've acknowledged the fact that we've strayed away from God's purpose and plan. But the truth is, is that God has set into motion every life, every creature, every moment, everything to fulfill a purpose that is larger than us. In Colossians chapter number one, it says for him, uh, for, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. Guess what? I know that you were cre- thought you were created just to tell the world how beautiful you are, but you were created by him and for him. You were created for his purpose. And as he created you for his purpose, you have to understand that his plan for your life is the best. And so, of course, if I say that statement, many of you are thinking in your minds, well, how can I be sure that God's plan is the best plan for my life. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very valid question because you say, all right, I want to understand that God's plan, I want God's plan, I want God's best, I want to have what God has for me. If God has a design for my life, I want it. But we deal with the reality. How do I know that that is the best plan? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first reason that we know that God's plan is the best plan for our life is, number one, we consider the alternative. We consider the alternative. I was recently having a conversation with God, and it went something like this. God, I'm upset with you. I got beef. You are not operating according to the way that I want you to operate. And God said, okay, all right, go on. To which I said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of all these things that you're making me go through, and I'm quitting. And to which God said, okay, well, what are you going to do when you quit? To which I responded, well, I don't know yet, but I like the fact that I can tell you I'm quitting. (laughs) You know, when I thought about it, I wanted to quit, but I didn't have an alternative. I mean, my alternative was stop following God, throw a pity party, but I still wouldn't solve the problem that I had in front of me. When you consider the alternative of God's plan for our lives, you recognize that the alternative, although it seems good to say, I have an alternative, I've quit. You realize that when you evaluate the plan, it's maybe not as uh, as good as you think it really is. 
if I don't like God's plan for my life, what are the alternatives? Well, we'll use different phrases, but the only alternative to God's plan for our lives is creating your own plan. Creating your own plan. Now, while we can create our own plan, we realize that our own plan will be flawed and limited. What do I mean by that? Well, because if we create our plan, that means that we revolve everything around us. And so we create ourselves as our own God. And so what we're truly doing is we're replacing God with ourselves and trying to say, I know better than everything that's going on. Now, that's a little bit scary because what we're saying is that before the year I was born, before I was conceived in my mother's womb, no God existed because I wasn't on this earth. So you mean to tell me that all of the history of civilization It was just random chance until you came along and you just put everything in order. Think about that for a moment. Well, the other option, if we consider the alternative, is we can say, well, if if, if I don't like God's plan, I can say, well, God does not exist and there is no plan. And many of us and some of us know people who have said that in their lives and say, well, I I refuse to acknowledge God because I can't understand the things that are going on in this world. Now, while that sounds very noble, think about that for a moment. If you say that I won't acknowledge God because I don't believe, you know, things don't make sense to me, what you're basically saying is God does not exist. So that means if God does not exist, everything is by random chance. You randomly happen to walk into Wheelock College. (laughs) You randomly happen to sit in a seat. You randomly, everything is by random. And so that gives you more purpose when everything's by random chance. The reality is when we consider the alternatives to God's plan, you realize that the alternatives are not that great. But what we need to do is reorient our lives around Jesus Christ, the cross, and what God has done for us, and we'll realize that his plans are always in motion. Another reason how we can know that God's plan is the best for us is we consider the source. We know by considering the source of who is created the plan. Last week, we said that we are imported from the kingdom of God, which means that the source of the plan for our lives is the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. The Apostle Paul says that we are created by the God who made the world and everything in it. So when you think about it, I mean, could you imagine if you were at an art show and, you know, after the art show, everybody's walking around and they're looking at all the creation and then they welcome out. Uh, the person, the artist who has created that particular work. Well, I mean, think about it. We're all parading around life and then they say, come on, let's bring out the, the artist, the great artist who has created all of these wonderful human beings. And they say it is the wonderful, the all-knowing, all-powerful, awesome God over all of the universe. He's the one who has created us. The source tells us that his plan is the best. You know, I realize that if someone who is not an artist or someone doesn't know what they're doing and they try and tell me how to do something, I'm not going to take their advice. I consider the source. If Buki from down the street (laughs) wants to tell me about how to invest my money (laughs) and Buki doesn't have a house, a car, (laughs) let alone knows what a stock is, I'm not going to listen to their advice. But recognizing that when I know someone who is a financial advisor, 
Someone who has invested, someone who has advised companies, someone who's been able to launch multi-million multi-million dollar companies, and they come and say, here's investment advice for what is going on. I realize I'm going to take his advice more seriously. And when God says he has a plan for your life, you consider the source. It's not just some random person say, well, you know what? Let me see. Dial, let me do this with your life. Let me do this. Fairy, let me do this with your life. Oh, maybe that doesn't work. Let me let me try and send you to America and do that with your life. I mean, no, God is not doing things by random chance. He's doing it by purpose. How do we also know that God's plan is the best? Well, we see and consider the craftsmanship of what God has created. We consider the craftsmanship. You know, it's amazing that I can tell within five minutes whether someone is a pro or an amateur at something. Those of you who have bought a house, you can tell the difference between when someone who is a painter goes in and paints your wall or when you decided you're going to do a do-it-yourself project. You went and got the paint, forgot to put the tape on the right spot, and so you got you know, spots all across the wall and across the other part of the wall. And you, you know what that's like. Some of you are shaking your head because you know, and you could tell the difference. You thought you were going to save some money, but then you had to pay somebody to come up and clean up everything that you did. Those of you who have watched Master Artists, you can see how they transform paint on a canvas to a stunning portrait. And when we consider God's craftsmanship, we considered how did he start in all that he did? Look here in Acts chapter number 17. In verse number 26, it says, from one man, he made every nation of men. Now, that sounds very simple. That sounds okay. One man, he created every nation of men. But when you think about what that means, when you think about what God was doing, and when you think about the detail to which God spent in creating not just from one man, but creating every nation of men, you realize that God's plan is bigger than you and me. I mean, I love it here. And as Mars Hill Fellowship Church, as a multicultural church, I love it because what we see is not just one particular skin color, not just one particular culture as a part of Mars Hill Fellowship Church. But we see every nation. We see every tongue. We see people from all different shades of God's grace. And the beauty in that is we recognize that God took specific time and energy to create us even uniquely. Even though we're all created in his image, he spent time on each and every one of us. So for those of us who have no hair or those of us who have a little hair, we thank God because we're uniquely created. <laughs> those of us who are natural hair and those of us who are whatever hair, I mean, we, we, we are uniquely created by God. And God uses each of those unique features to say that there is something that I'm doing and it's bigger than you and me. And what he says is that from one man, he made every nation of men. And this is why he do it, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, I had some conversations with God about where I'm living in Massachusetts, and I had some conversations with him. But then this scripture comes into mind that God determined the exact places, even where we should live. I mean, it's amazing that God spends time. And we, we, what I realize is that I'm not the product of simple chance in life. 
And many of us, we need to get out of the mindset that we're just living by chance or by the product of self-effort. You have to realize that God is involved in the details of your life. And he cares and is concerned even when it seems like the details are spiraling out of control. God knows what he's doing. And if you'll surrender to him, I guarantee you he'll be able to transform what you're going through and make it into something beautiful. He's a God who knows every detail and everything that is going on. His craftsmanship starts off with the fact that in the beginning, God created man. It's amazing. When you look at the Genesis account, you'll see how God, God did not just create mankind, but he hooked Adam up. Maybe you did not understand. And I mean, we've all read Genesis chapter number one. We've all read that in the beginning, God created and and we've understood that. But do you understand what God was doing when he created mankind? He placed them. He placed mankind in the Garden of Eden. Now, this was like a tropical island. I mean, it was filled with every type of tree and vegetation. And those of you who own homes, you'll appreciate this. Not only did God give him his own island, but God gave him an automatic in-ground sprinkler system. The Bible says that even there, as he was there, he said that it would come out of the ground. Springs would come out of the ground to flourish the vegetation and the trees that were there. That meant homeboy Adam didn't even have to go out and water the trees and water the fruits and water the plants. And and those of you who have ever grown something, you know the work that is there and you know the water bill that comes there. But what does God say? I hooked you up. I got you an automatic in-ground sprinkler system. I've taken care of you. I've given you all that you need. What else did he say? He said, listen, I see, Adam, that it is not good for you to be alone. And I see that I'm going to make a helpmate suitable for you. And so he saw the needs that Adam had and he provided for every one of those needs. God was paying attention to the details. Adam could have said, Lord, you don't know. I'm here in this garden all by myself. You don't care about me. You don't care about my life. But what did he say? He says, I see the needs, the very needs that you have in life. And he made provision for it. So God is there concerned about every detail. But what does Adam do in response? Adam does not focus on the fact that God has provided him a million things. He looks at the one thing that God says, don't do. And says, God, you're holding out on me. How many times will we neglect all that God is doing in our lives? How many times will we neglect how God's plan has got us through circumstances and situations? How many times will we look and we'll tell our friends, we'll be on Facebook testifying about, girl, did you know this and this? God did this in my life. But the minute that God says, wait or pause or hold, we'll say, you're holding out on me, God. You really don't care about me anymore. Do you really understand what I'm going through? The reality was that was what happened with Adam. But even in spite of that, God still had a plan. I I mean, aren't you glad that even when God knows we will mess up, he's already created a plan? I mean, it's like as a father, as a parent, I understand that there will be times where Nehemiah will have accidents. He will spill food on his clothes. He will have times where uh, the distance to the bathroom and where he's at is not is too too long in order to be able to get there. 
But as his parent, part of my responsibility is to prepare in advance to make sure that I have the provision that even when those things happen, that I've already made a way to provide for those things. And God, who cares about every single detail in your life, guess what? Even when he knows we're going to mess up, he's already made plans and ways to get us back on track, get us back to the place where we need to be. And I thank God that even when Adam was only concerned about himself and the things that were going on, God, who was sovereignly designing the universe and everything in it, had already made a way of escape. See, because even before he put Adam onto this earth, he knew that Jesus would be coming. Jesus would be the sacrifice for the sins. And where Adam messed it up, Jesus would be the second Adam who would come and restore everything back to God's rightful order. And there will become a day and a time where Jesus will come back again. And as he comes back again, everything will be put back into its rightful place. And the kingship and the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ and God will be all over this earth. And the enemy who has been active and wreaking havoc all over this world, he will be put to naught. You've got to know that the end of the story has a great ending. And God has prepared every single detail that's a part of it. So what does that God do? He designs Adam's life. And out of this one man, God makes every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And then the word, the, the, uh, Paul, Paul says in Acts 17, he says he, he set them there that they should inhabit the whole earth and determine the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. It's amazing because I, I love looking at pictures and it's funny because I remembered looking back at some of the pictures of my parents and I was like, oh my goodness, wow. You know, what was it like when they were living back in this age before there were kids around, before me and my brother were there? I mean, I know they were satisfied when I finally came, but I mean, what was the world like before all that was going on? And, 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 and you know, it's amazing because we can look back at history and think, oh, man, I would have loved to live in this time or this time would be easier. And, you know, parents, parents always use the phrase, you know, uh, back in my day, we had to do this. And it was and everybody, you know, uh, kids were kids back in my day. And so, I mean, and it's funny because now as a parent, I find myself <laughs> I'm in my mid 30s and, and I'm like, OK, I'm saying the same thing that my parents were saying. Man, I remember back when I grew up. Rap music was rap music, and I mean, I, and, 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 you know, music was good, you know, and, 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 and I mean, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm in that place. But I realize that God has set even the times and the places, not only in the time space of, uh, of what year we exist, but also the places where we're at. I realize that when I came and moved to Boston, it's amazing because I had no desire to come here to Boston, Massachusetts. As a matter of fact, my brother was here. And, uh, you know, at that time, uh, me and my brother had a uh, times of intense fellowship. And um, uh, in those intense fellowship, it would involve physical aggression um, uh, 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 by me. Uh, um, uh, um, and... and <laughs> Edit that from the tape. I won. <laughs> and, and 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 when 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 I I was coming and, and my brother was saying, well, why don't why don't you come? My parents had moved back uh, to Ghana, and, and 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 my brother said, why don't you come here to visit us um, here in Massachusetts? I was saying, this is not the Lord. 
I know this is not the Lord. And, 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 and as a matter of fact, I was like, you know, I said, well, to get my brothers off my back, I'll just come to Massachusetts. I'll appease them and then I'll go back to my wonderful Detroit and, and just enjoy life. And so even on the train ride back, I'll say, see, God, I told you this, this was not this was not the place I'm supposed to be. Well, obviously, you know, the end of the story, because I'm sitting here preaching in Boston, Massachusetts. But what I realized is that God was orchestrating something that was bigger than me, because at that very moment, all I could think about was I had a comfortable life. I had comfortable friends. I had a place that I enjoyed. But what God was thinking about was bigger than me. He was thinking about the fact that he had a wife for me, that he was moving from New Jersey to come to Boston, Massachusetts. And she was saying that she wasn't coming. She wasn't leaving her, her family. But God had something else to say. And so when you realize that even when it seems like these are some accidental things that happen, even when it seems like maybe you were born in Boston, Massachusetts, you say, well, I just want to get out of here and I just want to go somewhere else. But maybe God has you here for a purpose and for a reason. And instead of complaining for all the time that you're here, if instead you said, Lord, what do you want to do while I'm here? If instead you said, Lord, I know you appoint times and seasons. So how can you use me? you'll realize that when God says it's time to go, he'll he'll get you to go. And when God says it's time to stay, know that it's time to stay. He's appointed and set into place the times and the seasons. And it's not by accident that you're living here now in 2012. It's not by accident that you're here in a part of Boston, Massachusetts. It's not by accident that God has you in this place where you're at. Some of you are in school. Some of you are working. Some of you are in different stages of life. And it's not by accident that you are in these various stages of life. But God is at work through every single stage and activity that is going on. He sets into motion. The times and the exact places where they should live. But here what we see that is that the reality is, says, he says this, God did this so that man would seek him. So that man would seek him. You see, when we consider God's plan for us, we know it's the best because all the alternatives don't lead to anything else. We know the source of who is creating the plan is the best. And when we consider the detail at which God has laid out all the plans and the events of our lives, we realize that his plan is great. But we have to deal with this reality. And as I wrap up this message this morning, we have to deal with this reality that living in God's plan does not always make sense to us. Living in God's plan does not always make sense to us. Can you think back over your lives and think over some things where it didn't make sense to you at the time, but now that you can look back upon it, you can realize, wow, that was really for my good. Some of y'all are thinking right now about some relationships. At the time, you said, "Mm, I don't know. But you're now looking back upon it and saying it was for your good. Some of you are looking about some decisions that you have. I mean, uh, as I've been advising those who are going to college, I I thank God at the time I did not want to go. I don't know what was wrong with me. I did not want to go to the University of Michigan. It was about half an hour away from our house. And uh, my rationale was that while my brother was there at the University of Michigan, we used to have surprise family visits. (laughs) We just show up on campus and say, hey. And I'll say, you ain't coming to show it up on my campus and say, hey. And, and, and so, so, you know, I, I, at the time, I was upset. I wanted to go to this particular school. And now when I look at student loans, I don't have Sally Mae calling me. 
I don't have a relationship with the lenders. I thank God for it. And there are some things that at the time it does not make sense. But at the, at, at when you look at it in the full scope of what is going on, you'll realize that God is at work. And what do we have to deal with? We have to deal with this reality that when God has a plan, sometimes it may seem like God is going off script. Or in the political world, it seems like God is going rogue. He's going off the, off the message. He's going off the what was going on. And what we real, have to realize is that God doesn't always give us every piece of the plan because it's a part of the plan that he desires for us to rely on him. Let me say that again. God doesn't always give us every piece of the plan, but that's a part of the plan. Part of the plan of how God operates is not to give you every single detail. That's part of the plan. I know some of y'all are like, really? That's exactly what God is doing. Why does God do that? You say, that doesn't make sense, God. But guess what? You're not God. He knows what he's doing. And here we see there in verse number 27, we get a glimpse into why God would do something like that. He said, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far off from each one of us. You see, we are designed to seek God and to reach out for him and to find him. Why? Because God knows that we're easily swayed. God knows that the minute something good comes along, we, we, we get distracted. God knows he brings us a blessing and, and we can easily get off track and off course. God knows he opens a door of opportunity and we can make that very thing an idol in our lives. And so what happens? God designs it as part of the plan that we're always seeking him and walking with him. You see, God does not want to just give you downloads. He wants to walk with you. Some of you just want, Lord, download the blueprints to my plan and I can I can run with it. But God says, I want to be with you each and every step of the way. And what happens is that when God is designing the designing our lives, it's what we see here is that God says that he has it so that we search for him and we reach out for him and we find him. It is interesting to me that the writer does not stop at just saying that God's design is just for us to seek him and reach out for him. But he includes this conclusion. And I'm so glad for it. He says that we find him. You ought to be glad that when we reach out for God, when we're searching for him, God, he says we find him. And he says, though he is not far off. You see, this is the reality of what I believe happens. Fairy, can you help me for a second? Come here, please. This is what happens if God were tangible, physically walking with us. When we get in the events of life, we get tunnel focus. We can't realize the fact that God is here with us. And so we begin to walk and we realize, OK, God, I thought you had a plan. And then you're saying, what am I supposed to do? What's going on? How can I find you? But God says, search, search for me, seek after me and you'll find me. And what happens is that when we seek after him, it's not that God is lost, but when we're seeking after him, we're saying, "Okay, God, I don't I don't know how I can make it. Where are you at? And as we begin to seek for him, we realize that, wait, you're right here. You're walking beside me. And so the reason why God has a search for him and reach out for him is so that we know that he's already there. It's for our benefit for us to know 
that God is walking alongside of us. He says that when you search for me, you'll find me. Thank you, Fairy. The reality is, is God is not far from us. And we need to realize that he's right there with us. I I love this scripture in Jeremiah 33, and you can write this down. As he was speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33 and verses two through three, and it says, this is what the Lord says. He who made the heaven, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Do you know that when you call upon God, that he will share with you his wisdom, his insight and his plans? And so when you're saying, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing in the midst of my life right now. You can call to him and you'll find him and he'll direct you and lead you and guide you. You see, God's plan was always that when we seek him, we return back to him. If you can live and move and have your being without God, then you're living outside of God's plan for your life. You've created your own alternative to the true and living God. It doesn't matter if thousands of people get together and say, we're going this way. Unless God is truly sustaining you in all that is taking place. You'll realize that you're off script. You're off message. But the reality is, is that when you trust in God. It means that you'll have to depend on him. It means that there will be times when God's plan is unfolding where you'll look at and say, "Okay, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. You know, the trust exercises they make you do at the when you're with a new group. Catch me. The reality is, without faith, it's impossible to please God. What does that mean? That if you don't trust God, you'll never walk out his plan for your life. Why? Because you'll always give up and create another alternative. You always say, Lord, this is too difficult. I'm going to go a different way. Now, granted, there are times where you may feel like me and you're going to have a conversation with God. You're going to tell him about himself. Say, I quit. But consider the alternative. What are you going to quit and do? The reality is that we got to trust God. We have to know that his plan is blessed. And if he knows how to even take from Adam, set the nations into place, set the times for our existence and place all of them in rightful order. You think it's an accident that we're gathered here together as Mars Hill Fellowship Church? This was even beyond my ability to comprehend. But in God's plan, in God's economy, before I even uttered the words Mars Hill Fellowship Church in Austin, Brighton and Brookline, God was already saying, there's going to come a day in the age. I'm going to remove someone from Southfield, Michigan, bring them here to Boston, Massachusetts. He's going to come here and go to law school, find his wife. He's going to work in ministry. The Lord is going to open a door for him to minister the gospel. And Mars Hill Fellowship Church will be birthed. I love those aha moments where we realize that God was at work. And God's probably laughing and saying, I knew it all the time. 
Those are aha moments that I, I'm sure God says, finally, you get it. Finally, you understand. I've been at work all this time. I've set in time. I've set into motion the times and the places and the seasons where you should be at. It was not a product of chance. Let's get out of our mindset that God is just about luck and he doesn't care about what's going on in our lives. Now, I'm saying that to you in the midst of a very difficult circumstance that I'm facing right now. And I'm wondering, Lord, what's going on? But in spite of it, every time that I want to say, Lord, I give up, I keep on coming back to the fact I can't change my confession. God, you are true. And I refuse to disown you in the midst of all that is going on in my life. And so when you feel like it's getting too painful, the solution is not to run away from him or deny his existence. The solution is to draw closer to him and say, Lord, I worship you. I may not understand it right now, but you said if I call to you, you will answer. Lord, if I call upon your name, Lord, you said that you will show me great and mighty things that I do not understand. Lord, I am asking you even right now in the midst of situations where I may not understand what is going on. Lord, would you open the eyes of my heart to understand and to trust you, Lord? Lord, thank you that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are better than my thoughts. Lord, you are greater than I am, Lord. And even when I look at all that is going on, I recognize that you are a mighty God. And sometimes you've just got to change your confession and say, Lord, I recognize that in the midst of all that's going on, I will worship you. You are the master craftsman. Lord, you've created us in your image. And I thank you and I worship you. This morning, can we just take a moment because I sense that there are some people that you've been wrestling. Lord, how do I know that your plan is the best plan for my life? And you've been struggling to say, okay, how can I stay the course even when difficulties may come? And I realize that all of us will face those endeavors. But in the midst of that, that's not the time to give up. That's the time to say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, Lord, help me, oh God. Lord, even in the places where I do not understand, to not give up, but to trust you faithfully. Can we stand on our feet as we prepare to close even this morning? And just in your own way, you can, however you need to do it, but let's just worship God and begin to change our confessions. Some of you have been confessing some of the wrong things, but begin to confess that our God is greater, our God is higher, his ways are higher than my ways. And Lord, I thank you that you are fully in control and know everything that is going on and taking place. Some of you, you may want to raise your hand and say, Lord, I just thank you. I surrender myself over to you, oh God. Lord, everything that I am, I, I give it over to you, oh God.